ora, I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. Today on the detailed groundswell, how a movement that started with a small tractor protest less than two years ago has ended up in headline-grabbing spats with its own sector over emissions. It was started by a West Otago farmer, Bryce McKenzie. Brian Gibson is editor of Farmers Weekly. He's been following the group since it kicked off in October 2020. He is heavily involved in a catchment group down there, the Poor Mahaka catchment group. They're doing a lot of actually really cool things in that catchment down there in terms of regeneration and reducing nutrient losses and that sort of thing. He read the new national policy statement on freshwater management and didn't like what he was reading. So he kind of took to Facebook and expressed some anger and it kind of kicked off from there. And then organised that first tractor protest. Yeah. Quite a lot of support. It did. They got 120 tractors when they paraded down the main street of Gore, basically just um, protesting against the freshwater regulations that were coming in. They came from across Southland. Waikoikoi, Pukaro, Tapanui, protesting new regulations around fresh water and winter grazing. I think they were going to leave it at that, but um, they realised that that in essence started a movement and so they sort of kept on going. Just annoys me. Yeah, yeah. We, we, do, we do our bits. Farmers are getting pretty slammed at the moment for all sorts of reasons. And then it took off from there. Yeah. It's Bryce McKenzie and Laurie Patterson who are the two, two farmers who run Groundswell. A show of unity on four very large wheels and hope someone up north is listening. In July last year, the tractors went to town again, this time with dogs on board. Farmers expressed their frustration at what they call a barrage of red tape and new taxes. The so-called howl of a protest didn't fail to deliver in Amberley in North Canterbury, where about 700 farmers and their supporters let their dogs rip at lunchtime. They came by tractor and ute to 50 centres from Kaitaia to Invercargill and urged their dogs to bark in unison and to send a clear message to Wellington. That protest was against sort of unworkable legislation in general. The Ute tax was a big part of that. But the Hewaka Ekenoa program, the partnership between the industry and the government to work out a way to um, price emissions, that's part of it too. Um, but if you look at Groundswell's positioning statement, um, they, have, they take issue with many of these programs that are aimed at the primary sector. The biodiversity, the Crown pastoral lease stuff, in fact, a look at Groundswell's very polished website where you can buy merchandise to support the group, there's also a list of grievances. They want to rewrite or complete scrap of regulations, including those covering freshwater, indigenous biodiversity, climate change and pastoral land reforms. The mother of all protests in November highlighted what Groundswell has repeatedly labelled the unworkable regulations. But along the way, the group's been accused of spreading misinformation. And just lately, with the growing debate over how farmers pay for their emissions, there's been a very public division with other farmer groups. You know, the lobby groups have long history with lobbying, obviously, to government and um, talking on the sector's behalf. And they are doing this, for the most part, around the table if you know what I mean, in Wellington. There's a lot of discussions that go on between the government and the likes of Dairy NZ, the Federated Farmers and Beef and Lamb New Zealand 
which we aren't privy to all of, but which obviously ideas are being put back and forth and mm. either the sector is wholly listened to, somewhat listened to, not listened to at all, and, the, and then regulation comes out of that. Now, I guess the Groundswell Group believe that um, some of these lobby groups are perhaps not working in the best interests of the farming sector, and so that's the reason for Groundswell's being, I guess. So you've got these two two leaders. The movement was born out of um, Heartland, Southland, and you've, you've got these two good Kiwi bloke farmers um, who are leading it, but then you've got all the undercurrents that they've had to repeatedly distance themselves from. Stuff senior journalist Andrea Vance co-produced a documentary series called This Is How It Ends about the biodiversity crisis. And full disclosure here, her husband works in primary industries. In the beginning, the howl of protest was hijacked by anti-vaxxers. You had climate change denial signs, you had pretty misogynistic sites, you had Maori bashing, and they had to distance themselves from that public. They had to issue a list of terms that were banned and signage in the protest. And then you've had some pretty nasty emails circulating from supporters that have become public with a real anti-Maori undertone. And then um, if you talk to people in the sector, there's also been quite a lot of nasty emails back and forward to people, leading people in the sector with you know, pretty nasty undertones, but also a, a great deal of misinformation. Just after Groundswell's July protest, Vance wrote an opinion piece called A Storm is Coming and It's One That Will Drown Out Groundswell's Howl. At the same time, she was invited to speak at a beef and lamb conference. I had agreed to go and talk to them um, about politics, as I do quite often, you know, when people ask us to go and speak to these things, I always say yes, because, you know, journalists get such a bad rap, and I kind of want to show the friendly face. Um, I was going to talk to them about politics and the media. I decided, because I'd done all this reading, I thought, well, I might as well write a column, and um, and the groundswell issue was really large. So that's how that came about. But, of yeah. course, then I went to this conference, and, and I was like, oh, God, I'm walking into the lion's den. But actually, what I found from speaking to that conference, it's always great speaking to the rural sector because they're so politically engaged. You know, they're, they're as interested in Wellington as Wellingtonians, in a way. <laughs> yeah. And it just sort of reaffirmed some of the points I was trying to make in that column is that groundswell are the vocal minority. They do not speak for the large proportion of farmers who, who disagree with their positions and actually are working bloody hard to do their best to overcome this problem of our emissions and climate change mitigation. So, so it just kind of reinforced that. But yeah, it was, an, it was a really great conversation. When you were working on your project, this is how it ends, is that what you came across? Because you travelled the country. Yeah, there are. I mean, that's the thing that I think people tend to forget is that, you know, obviously Doc are out there doing their fantastic work in this space, but most of our land is in private hands. And so lots and lots of landowners do incredible work. They spend vast amount of money doing predator and weed control that we don't even get to hear about. I mean, that's that's part of their day-to-day operations. And we spent a bit of time in the high country with some amazing high country farmers. One of the farmers at Lake Heron in Canterbury, his name's Philip Todd Hunter, and he's a you know multi-generation high country station farmer. I have never met anyone who knows more about the conservation, the biodiversity, and a clear 
just deep love and deep passion. It's sort of at odds with um, this image that we seem to have developed of bad dairy farmers polluting our waterways because not all farmers are like that. I'm not sugarcoating it. I'm not saying that there isn't a problem. 100% there is. And if you watch our fresh water episode and this is how it ends, you can clearly see the damage. And I think just to get back to Groundswell, I think it's a retrograde. Like they're, they're doing the absolute worst for the sector. They're kind of an angry vocal minority and their behavior and the messages and um, the way the way that they've carried on just does the sector an enormous disservice. I mean, they've been incredibly effective for a vocal minority, haven't they? They've done these big tractor protests. They've got a very professional-looking website. They somehow have really struck a chord, I think, not only with other farmers. So do you believe, though, that you and our bigger than fed farmers and that people should join you as, as opposed to fed farmers what is the no no we're not saying that at all and, and as i said we've never had a beef with federated farmers that uh what we're saying is that federated farmers have probably concentrated on uh their core base of farmers where we've probably spread a bit wider than that and do have some urban following and some urban people that understand farming situations so we've probably picked up a lot of those people. And you think you're bigger, though, in membership than feed farmers? Yes, although we don't have a membership. We only really have an email base. So do you think they're dangerous? No, I don't, actually. I, th- I actually think that they are, they're not very politically astute. <laughs> yes, they're a vocal minority, and yes, they've got a whole lot of media coverage because they had this quite distinctive protest with their tractors and their utes, et cetera, et cetera. But I think post the parliament occupation i think that people have no truck with that kind of protest at the moment people are sort of fed up with it they're tired of it and when you start to disrupt people's already quite stressed lives i think they get pretty impatient with it but that that's not the main reason the reason i don't think they're dangerous is because i said they're not very politically astute first of all it's not really clear what they stand for they're all over the show with their messaging um and a lot of the things that they're saying is already being done. So the sector set up Hewaka Ekonoa, which is a kind of a partnership where all the levy groups like Dairy New Zealand, Beef and Lamb, Horticulture New Zealand, etc., have all got together and they're sort of collaborating and engaging and trying to not slow these proposals down, but make them workable. It's a very positive model. If you talk about the... Um winter grazing rules down south there, you know, there were some strange absolutes in that in terms of planting dates, which didn't actually make sense in a place like Southland where it can still be very cold by the time the planting date passes. And so there have been changes made there. It was great. You know, it was a really good kind of example of collaboration. With the emissions reduction plan, it is a partnership. And so, you know, the government has said to the sector, work with us to come up with an alternative to you going into the emissions trading scheme. And if we can come up with a palatable plan, then we'll do that. And so obviously it's now in the lobby group's best interest to make that plan work because to their mind, farmers being in the emissions trading scheme would be disastrous. So basically what they're trying to do with Hawaka is is sort of get in the side inside the tent, whereas Groundswell are kind of pissing in from the outside, which is it isn't gonna work with this government because the government's been is really, really clear what it wants to achieve. I mean, Jacinda Ardern went out there and she said that climate change 
is is our generation's nuclear-free moment. So the government is pretty strident on this stuff, and they've been really, really clear that farmers should have to pay for their emissions. Um, and so the sector's widely has appreciates that and they're just trying to make it workable for farmers and groundswell's approach is not going to do that it's just going to create friction with the government and what groundswell are actually doing is they're making these other groups like dairy new zealand beef and lamb horticulture in new zealand much more palatable and and they look much more reasonable and the government's more inclined to work with them and not deal with groundswell and they just groundswell made it 100 times worse when they demanded to meet with the prime minister and then the prime minister I was quite surprised when the Prime Minister said that she would sit down with them and then they threw their toys out of the pram mm. and said that they only wanted to meet with her alone. The Prime Minister said that she would meet with you along with other farming groups. This was after initially saying no. You're now saying you won't meet with the Prime Minister if those other groups are there, is that right? That's basically what's happening, Corin. yes. We, uh, we feel that we have to support our farmer base and... Um, there is some question about the people advocating for farmers and uh, we didn't think it was right to be lumped in with them. So they look, just looked a bit petulant, whereas the other groups look a bit reasonable. In that space, though, it is sort of crowding Federated Farmers out a little bit and it'd be interesting to see what happens there because Federated Farmers isn't a compulsory levy group and they are traditionally sort of the more strident of the groups. So Groundswell's kind of eating their lunch a little bit. So that'll be that'll be interesting to see. But yeah, so sorry, so just to get back to my original point, I, do, I don't, they're not clear in what they want and the way that they behave and go about things just puts people off dealing with them. I heard an interview with Bryce McKenzie on uh, one of the rural networks talking about that decision not to meet the Prime Minister. He was saying, I don't know if we've made the right decision here. I mean, that's something we'll constantly question ourselves on as well, um, because, uh, you know, we don't know. Uh, maybe we should have been in the room. We just had to make the call at the time uh, from the information that we had. It just in terms of optics, it's, like I said, it just looked really petulant. And I mean, how would that meeting have gone anyway? Because they can't really articulate what they want. I mean, when they first protested, there was a lot of climate change denial. They were protesting against the ute tax. They were protesting against the RMA reforms, freshwater reforms, the ETS, significant natural area changes. You know, mm. that is, what, what do you actually what do you actually want? Because you're not going to get all of that. Um, and then other things that they're saying, you know. They're demanding that the more money goes into R and D. Well, the sector's been doing. It's been put, there's been tons of money gone into R and D for years and years. That that there's not an issue there. That's not an area that they they just seem really naive and they, they come across like they don't really know what they're talking about. So groundswell is annoyed at these other groups for for being part of this. The issue is though. It comes back to this issue that Fed Farmers is actually interested in trying to work with the government on some way that farmers contribute to the cost of climate change, whereas you are not. Uh, no, that's wrong. What we're saying is that let's get us the science, OK? And then it's we'll... not wrong. You don't want, you've said publicly you don't believe there should be a levy. You've called it a tax. Yeah, that's right. We're saying it's a tax. But we're not saying that there shouldn't be something paid. But we believe farmers should have the right of actually spending that money to do the climate change themselves. Why take it off them and give it back to them? What do you think of the kind of job that they do in terms of lobbying the government and working on various issues with the government? 
I think on the whole they do a pretty good job. You know, they're they're pretty staunchly supportive of the sector and they want to see it thrive. And, you know, as I said, they have long histories of working with successive governments, not just this current one, on, um, you know, working out an approach to certain things. You know, there have been changes made to various other laws that have come in the last few years because of the pushback from the likes of the lobby groups and the farming sector. I mean, it can't really be good for the farmers for this kind of friction to be going on, surely? Yeah, especially since when the Hewaka Ekenoa partnership was announced, it was, we're all going to work together to come up with a palatable solution. And, you know, since that group's come back with the two options that it's um, been presenting to farmers at roadshows, you know, obviously there's been quite a lot of um, division in response to that. You mean the Hewaka Ekenoa thing, they have come back and presented Yes, yes, so there's been roadshows going on. Yeah. So they've been going around with roadshows and now Groundswell have come out saying we don't like that. Yeah, well, a number of people have, not just Groundswell. I mean, there are, are at least two alternatives to those options being put forward. Groundswell have put one forward and there's been another group, farmers from the central North Island who have also put together a proposal um, that they think better reflects the realities of farming. Why do you think this has happened Well, I guess it all comes down to a a failure of communication. Is this roadshow not doing a a good job of of selling it? I'm not sure. I think they've been relatively well attended. I think most of the farming community understand what the options are. Of course, a vast chunk of the roadshow happened during, you know, recent COVID restrictions, so that might have impacted attendance, but there were also online ones, I gather. But, I mean, like any industry, you have a a, um, spectrum of opinion, and there is a train of thought within the farming world that they're better off left to make decisions for themselves on what they should be doing and that government overreach is not for them. In the end surely they have to reach some sort of agreement because they won't be able to sell their products especially if they're exporters. Mm, That's something that doesn't get talked about as much as it probably should If you talk to processors and exporters, they will tell you that while the government is moving on this, it's a good business decision to adopt some sort of evolution of this manner Mm. because um, those types of conversations around sustainability and environmental management are becoming more and more important as they try and sell product overseas. You see the likes of Fonterra in the last year or two have brought in basically a scheme where you can earn an extra 10 cents per kilogram of milk solids if you meet certain targets. And the red meat processes as well. For a long time, they've had, um, you know, meat quality schemes going on, so you can get more if you hit certain benchmarks in terms of the quality of the meat you send them. But now they are also, Alexa Woodburn Farms has a, um, a regen program just getting started. People can see opportunities. You can add value if you take steps. As an outsider, you know, someone who lives in the, in, in the city, it feels like, you know, that we, we're all aware that there's been a lot of anger, the sort of growing anger and vitriol against, you know, politicians and that kind of thing. 
Do you think mm. that's all part of it? You know, it's the it's something that's sort of bubbled up over the last two years. I think that might be part of it. You know, in my work, the last two years, the conversation around most things has turned a bit more vitriolic. And, you know, those who don't like things like the, you know, freshwater regulations or the biodiversity push, um, they lump COVID-19 mandates into that group of government overreach. Hewoka are just trying to kind of get the best deal for farmers. And this, it's sort of pointless railing against it because it's just, it is eventually going to happen. If the country wants to bring down its emissions, it is, it is going to happen. Um, there is, of course, a complicated debate, you know, going on at the moment in the sector about CO2 versus methane. And, and these are important nuanced arguments and, and the conversation has to be had. But you can't really have that kind of consultation and collaboration when you're yelling from the back of a tractor. Don't they have a point, though, that the government doesn't listen to the farmers? Do they have a point there at all? Well, yes and no. So they are listening. James Shaw has spent a lot of time engaging with this sector, you know, and I think there's a lot of mutual respect there if you, if you talk to both sides. So on one level, no. If you talk to, to farmers, you talk to the sector, the government's taken quite a siloed approach to, to the policy and, and, and it has been an awful lot to far, for farmers to deal with. Um, you know, even if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic when everyone is stressed and, and worried about the future and their businesses, et cetera, et cetera, you know, it is, <laughs> there has been an awful lot for farmers to deal with. And I think as well, you've got to remember that for years and years and years under previous governments, Dairy intensification was championed and they were encouraged to do that. And everyone from central government to local government to the banks were, you know, encouraging farmers to intensify. This was our great economic powerhouse. And then all of a sudden that changed, you know, not not virtually overnight, but, you know, quite quickly, public sentiment turned against them. And it's just, it's not easy to turn around that ship. It's really difficult. And I'm not saying... There is a, a want and a willingness to do it, but I think you definitely there's a fair argument that the government should should have and should continue to take a more sort of practical and integrated approach to farm planning and, and other issues. Um, that said, farmers, I guess, are the first cab off the rank and lots and lots of other industries. In fact, everyone from you know, big transport companies down to you and I and our individual households are going to have to make a lot of changes and a lot of sacrifices. And so I guess the farming sector probably is, is the first cab off the rank and, they, and they're maybe the experiment and maybe they'll get better when they start to deal with other industries like transport is a huge one, you know. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is public interest journalism funded through NZ On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Sarah Robson. And thanks to Brian Gibson and Andrea Vance. Kakite anō.